Hey, this is Junior Ziegler. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I hope this time in God's Word encourages you. Hope it brings you closer to God. Hope it challenges your perspective. Glad you're joining. Enjoy the message. When my middle child was learning to talk, I could barely understand her, just some gibberish. The nice thing is, though, is her older sister knew what she said, and so Madison would translate for me. Uh, you know, so I'd say, you know, Maddie, what, what did Nora just say? And, and Madison would say, oh, Nora said that she wants her sippy cup. And so that, that was nice. Funny thing is, though, is I learned sometimes Madison would only translate what she wanted Nora to say. So she'll translate for Nora when Nora's saying, you know, I want a popsicle. Oh, Daddy, she's saying that she wants popsicles. But if Nora was maybe tattling on Madison, Madison would not translate it. So Nora would say something like, you know, Madison hit me. And Madison's going, I'm with you, Dad. I have no idea. I can't, I can't understand her either. Today, we run into a passage of Scripture where part of me wants to do what Madison did. I don't really know what Jesus is saying here. Because what Jesus is about to say is not fun to hear it's at all, and it's not fun to teach. Like, if you thought what we talked about last week with amputations and health, you thought that was heavy, this is, this is a tough week. And so I just want to say, if you, in the next 30, 20, 30 minutes, if you have that urge to just close me out, I completely get it. This is hard today. But here's what I ask. Don't give in to that urge. Don't, don't sign off. Don't close me out. Stay with me. We have to eat our vegetables first. There is dessert at the end, and the dessert is so good. But the veggies come first. And, and here at the bridge, we, we believe so strongly in the Word of God. We never want to make God's Word say what we want it to say or, or leave parts out of it, like my daughter leaving parts out for her sister. No, we believe in the veggies of God's Word, that they make us stronger. We're not a dessert-only church. And I don't say that, you know, to pat us on the back. I say that because there will be moments that are so uncomfortable where we wrestle with God's Word. And this is going to be it today. Ready or not? Here we go. Mark chapter 10 is where we find ourselves today. Mark chapter 10. We've been going through the book of Mark this year, and we have reached the 10th chapter today. So Mark chapter 10, whether you've got a Bible uh, on your bookshelf or on your nightstand or you're grabbing your phone to pull out the Bible app or the, or the bridge app, we have the Bible on there. Really encourage you to have uh, your Bibles and be open to Mark chapter 10. I, I do want to speak just for a second to those of you who are single. Maybe you're younger and you're single, or uh, maybe you're older and you're single, or you're a live alone, a widow or a widower. Uh, and you're looking at, you know, you're, you're opening up your Bible right now and you're seeing, oh, this is about divorce and remarriage. And you're thinking, this has nothing to do with me. I just want to challenge you. It absolutely does. Stay with us. If you are younger and you're single and you can get, and, and you can get this, man, you are so far ahead of those that, you're, that are your age that are even older than you. Uh, if you're um, single and you're just not even interested in, in getting married or, or remarried, if you're a widower, uh, I just want to tell you, hey, we're not exempt from parts of God's Word. That as believers, we are to champion all of it. This world is so lost when it comes to this topic, and this world needs us as Christians to know this stuff, to be able to champion it and help other people out. And so let's all do this together. Let me pray before we jump into this. Father, we thank you so much for, for God's word, for your word. And uh, God, we, we, I know this is going to be tough for us today, and so I ask that uh, your Holy Spirit work during this time. 
that not only does the Holy Spirit bring situations to mind for us, but that uh, the Holy Spirit can just give us the sense, the spirit of grace, knowing that you are a gracious God, that you are a merciful God. This is a tough topic, but we have a gracious God. May we remember that as we get into this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the last few weeks, we've been uh, looking in great detail at the whereabouts of Jesus. We've actually been tracking him throughout Israel on a map. The last couple of weeks for Jesus have been pretty intense. It's been a lot of uh, activity, a lot of events, a, a lot of crowds, even debates. Uh, there was that, that, that time where Jesus climbed a mountain and then climbed back down with a few of his disciples. Then right after, they took a 12-hour road trip down back to Jesus' lake town. After that 12-hour road trip to Jesus' little lake town, Jesus kept his disciples late into the night to talk about greatness and hell. And we looked at that last week. But not long after that late-night conversation, Jesus and his disciples, they're back on the road. And thanks to Mark, we're able to track where he goes next. Look what Mark writes. He writes this. And he, meaning Jesus, left there, meaning Capernaum, and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Okay, so Jesus was just in Capernaum. He's on that little lake town in, in Capernaum. And he leaves for the Judea region, it says, on the other side of the Jordan River. So Jesus just travels southeast, and unfortunately we can't really pinpoint the location with accuracy. Some scholars and some historians believe that Jesus is in the area of, of what we call Perea, uh, which would put him about right about here. Uh, very plausible. This area makes sense, but we don't know for sure. We do know that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem over here, but first he makes a pit stop in an area that we, we believe is, is Perea. And Mark continues. It says, And the crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom, he, he taught them. I got to point this out. We looked at this earlier on in this series, but over and over and over, especially in chapters one and chapter two, we saw that Jesus' ministry, his priority in his ministry was to teach. Yes, Jesus healed. Yes, Jesus fed people. But over and over and over, Mark points out Jesus taught, Jesus is teaching, Jesus is a teacher. And he's repeating it again here, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up in order to test him, asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Oh my goodness, this is so blatantly obvious. So the region that Jesus just stepped into, we just had it up here on the map, the region that Jesus just stepped into is controlled by Herod. Herod, not too long ago, executed Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, for speaking out against Herod marrying his sister-in-law. And so Herod just had John beheaded, regarding the topic of remarriage. I mean, this is a big news item. Everybody's talking about this. You hear what Herod just killed, John the Baptist, uh, because of his stance on remarriage. And so the Pharisees, as they see Jesus come, and the Pharisees are thinking, hey, it would be great if Herod did our dirty work for us and did the same to Jesus as he did to John the Baptist. So Jesus, now that you're in our area, what say you about divorce? But it wasn't just trying to get the government against Jesus. The Pharisees are also trying to get the crowd against Jesus. See, the Pharisees just threw this grenade in the middle of the crowd. This is a very divisive topic. I mean, I mean you might as well ask Jesus his thoughts on the coming election this November. Because no matter what Jesus says here, he's going to tick off a good portion of the crowd. 
See, there's two main teachings that, that, that were popular during this time about divorce, and, and they came from two famous rabbis, competing views during this time. And we're getting into a little bit of history here, but this is really important, so stay with me. Two competing perspectives or views in Israel during this time about the topic of remarriage. See, on the one side, there's Rabbi Hillel who taught one thing on divorce and remarriage. And on the other side was Rabbi Shammai who taught another thing on the topic of divorce and remarriage. These two guys disagreed mainly on one verse in the Old Testament. See, Moses, the the hero of, of the Jewish faith, recorded laws for the nation. And Moses wrote a law about divorce. And these two rabbis disagreed on the interpretation of that law. L- l- let, me, let me show you this law. It actually comes from Deuteronomy 24.1. Here's what Moses write, wrote. He wrote, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he can write her a certificate of divorce, put it in her hand, and send her out of his house. So this is, this is the law. This is what the disagreement is about. Indecency right here, this word indecency comes from the, the, the word unclean. A lot of times it's translated as, as unclean. And so the big argument during this time is, well, what does unclean mean then? Like we got to define this word if we're going to be able to keep this law. And so what does unclean mean here? If I, if I can divorce my wife because she's unclean, what does it mean to be unclean? Rabbi Hillel said, well, if she burns dinner. Literally, Rabbi Hillel gave that example. Like, like if her oven timer is the smoke alarm, drop her like it's hot. That's an unclean woman right there. Rabbi Hillel said that if she gets upset and she raises her voice loud enough for the neighbors to hear, that's an unclean woman and you can send her packing. Uh, Rabbi Hillel said, if you see another woman... That, you're, that is more pleasing to the eye, you're more attracted to her, well, then your wife has just become less attractive, now she's unclean, and you can divorce her. I mean, just crazy, right? Then again, our culture today treats, a lot of our culture today treats marriage like Rabbi Hillel wrote about. Now, Rabbi Shammai taught, no, 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 no. Guys, Deuteronomy chapter 24 comes right after Deuteronomy chapter 23 and Deuteronomy chapter 22 and chapter 21, which all speak about sexual immorality making somebody unclean. Unclean means cheating. And so Rabbi Shammai taught you can only get a divorce for a serious transgression. I mean, we're not talking about burning meals or letting yourself go. No, we're talking about sexual unfaithfulness, sexual immorality. That's the context. And so what happened is the more conservative readers of the law, they followed Rabbi Shammai. They would say, hey, we're with Rabbi Shammai. We, we don't prefer that interpretation. It's more strict. Hey, but that's what it means. And then the more liberal interpreters of the law would follow Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Hillel had a bigger following because, well, people just liked his interpretation better. And so culture, for the most part, followed Rabbi Hillel. So this is the big argument during this time. It's like red versus blue. This is like this big to-do. So there you have the Pharisees going, Jesus, you seem to be a guy that takes the Bible literally. You know a lot about the Bible. What's your take on divorce? And if we think, if you're going to answer the way we think you're going to answer, this crowd is going to turn on you. And if you answer the way we think you're going to answer, you could be in trouble with the government. So what say you about divorce, Jesus? I mean, there they are. 
The sun is beating down. Heat radiates from the dry dirt under their sandals. The Pharisees smirk and kind of step back. The crowd is silent. This is big. Little do the Pharisees know, though, Jesus just hung out with Moses on a mountain last week. Jesus isn't the guy you want to ask about the law of Moses. Look at how Jesus responds here. He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her her way. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. So Jesus just throws it right back at, there, right back at them. What did Moses command? Forget Rabbi Hillel, Rabbi Shammai. What did, what did Moses command? Let's get to Scripture. What does Scripture say? What did Moses command? They said, well, Moses permitted. Yeah, that's right. Moses permitted. He didn't command. He permitted. And Moses only permitted because your guys' hard hearts were ruining marriage. See, here's what was happening during Moses' time. was uh, Women were being thrown to the wayside. The beauty of Jewish culture is that throughout history, and this is so true, throughout history, God's people have always been more pro-women than, than any other culture. But during the time of Moses, there were some men that were just tossing their wives out. And those wives couldn't go anywhere because technically they were still tied to their husband. And so Moses wrote this law and goes, okay, you guys don't want to do marriage God's way. Here's what you got to do then. You got to at least have enough respect for the woman and not just abandon her. God's word says you, you can't do that to my girls. If you're going to be a jerk, the, the women can't pay for, for your, your stupidity. So give them a, a, written, a, a writ of divorce that shows them that they are free from, not, not some jerk's trash, that they are free from the likes of you. That's why Moses wrote what he wrote in Deuteronomy chapter 24 uh, was to clean up a lot of mess that was going on. But this was not God's original intent for marriage. Because look what Jesus says next. He says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So Jesus takes it all the way back to the original design of marriage, back to creation. And Jesus was there that day. Back to the day when when God shaped and, and molded male, and then he shaped and molded female, and then he designed marriage. What Jesus is doing here is so brilliant. Jesus is taking it, things back to before Shammai, back before Hillel, back before Moses, back to the original design and institution of marriage. Jesus says, let's talk about God's view of marriage. Not what Moses did in order to clean up the mess of sin. Let's talk about God's view of marriage. And Jesus does this to make such a huge point, a point that we cannot miss, a point that is so politically incorrect today, but we're going to give it anyways. Truth about marriage. God designed marriage, so he gets to define it. That's what Jesus is getting at here. God designed marriage, so he gets to define it. Let's look at that definition. And what Jesus is about to say will disagree with the vast majority today. But the definition of marriage is not defined by the majority. What Jesus is saying here is Rabbi Hillel, Rabbi Shammai, they don't get to define marriage. God designed it. God gets to define it. God has the patent on marriage. It's a basic engineering principle. You know, if you have a question with a, 
you know, with, with a product and you can't figure out the, the product, we'll go back to the original design. What was it originally designed for? And if you have to, go all the way to the original designer if you can. And the designer is most likely going to know why that product was designed. The same is true for something as difficult as marriage. If we can get God's definition of marriage, well, that's going to answer a lot of questions about divorce. And then Jesus gives us an extremely simple definition of marriage in the next verse. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. One flesh, one flesh. The word for uh, flesh here in, in this verse is the, uh, is the word bios. Uh, we get our word biology from, I never did well in biology, but we get our word biology from this. Two lives colliding into one life, into one bios. See, in the beginning, in the beginning, uh, God formed man. And God set man above creation. God set man above the animals, gave him dominion. And God walked with man, named him Adam. God walked with Adam. But then God said, this is, this is not good. Uh, we need to get Adam a date. And so from Adam's side, not from his head so that she would rule over him, not from his feet so that he could trample over her, but from his side, God created Eve. And God took more time forming her because, well, girls are prettier. And Adam wakes up from his deep sleep and goes, that's what I'm talking about. I love in the original Hebrew, uh, Scripture says that God creates ish and isha. Ish and isha. Ish and ish. <laughs> and Adam got to talking with Eve and they liked each other, and, and Adam really liked how Eve was molded. And the first marriage happened. Two became one. Two bios became one bios, one life. This is not just a, a sexual thing. This is not just a, an emotional thing. Or this is not just some cute little picture of how marriage should work. No, this is the strongest bond right here. This bond is stronger than, than kids to their parents type of bond. This, this bond is stronger than friend to friend type of bond. This bond is stronger than anything else. It is the fusion of life. The fusion of bios. Two lives colliding into one life. And you can't separate this one life without killing the life. And that's the second point that we have for today. Second truth about marriage, what Jesus is getting at. Marriage is not a contract, but a fusion. It's not a contract where they're separate, working together. It is this fusion of life, this fusion of bios. See, we live in a, a very contractual society today. It's how our economy works. Right? You, know, you do this business and I will pay you to do this business and I'll perform this service and then you pay me while I perform this service. Uh, and it works. It's great for the marketplace. It's how our economy works. But what we have done as a society is we have taken contracts from the marketplace and we've brought them into marriage. And we don't say these things because we know this sounds bad, but we really do feel these things. You know, you bring this amount of money and 
I'll bring that amount of money, and you know, you watch the kids this amount, and I'll watch the kids, you know, that amount, and uh, and you know, these are your bank accounts, and these are my bank accounts, and here's my sex expectations. You know, we'll call them sex expectations. Uh, and if you don't meet my sex expectations, then I'm going to be distance, distant. It, it's this very contractual thing. It's like, uh, I don't know if you ever watched The Big Bang Theory, you know, Sheldon's um, relational agreement contract. That, 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 it's exactly what we do. You do this, I do this. We, we all do this at some level. You know, you do this, I expect this, I bring this, you bring that. And, and it's not this fusion of one life, of one bios. Instead, it's like this business partnership. And the majority of marriages, they, they operate this way at, at some level. It's horrible for marriage. It's why we have the divorce rate in our society that, that we have. Because marriage wasn't designed to be a contract. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Marriage is this fusion of bios. You're one. Your money is one. Your parenting is, is one. Marriage isn't this partnership like a business venture that you're all off on together. No, there's this fusion. Marriage is this fusion. You're one. You see yourself as one, not both, not, you know, like together on the same page. No, you are one, fused together, fused emotionally, fused spiritually, fused financially, fused physically. There's this fusion. You're one together, which is why Jesus says this, this phrase that is repeated at so many weddings today. What therefore God has joined together, fused together, let no man separate. It's as if Jesus says, hey, some of you jerks are, are, are kicking your wives to the curb because she burnt the pita bread, or, or, or you saw someone that you'd rather be with. That's ridiculous. God has fused you together. There's no separating what God has done. The Pharisees are sitting in the back going, Okay, so you align with Rabbi Shammai then. And Jesus is like, no, I align with God. I align with God. I'm not taking your political bait. If I lose the crowd, I lose the crowd. Here's the original intent of marriage, the original design of marriage. Marriage is a fusion that can't be separated. Now that is far from what the crowd wanted to hear. The heads are shaking. Some are leaving. The Pharisee smirk grows because what Jesus just said is even more strict than they had hoped. The disciples have some questions, though. And in the house, the disciples ask Jesus again about this matter. Hey, we don't want to ask you out in public, Jesus. So what's going on with this now that we're in a room privately? And Jesus said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and, and marries another, she commits adultery. Oh, wow. Well, sorry we clarified that, Jesus. I mean, seriously? But what about, what, what about, what about, what about, Jesus is not. Marriage is a fusion. Marriage is a fusion. A, 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 a male and a female stand before God and they put a ring on it. It's not the marriage certificate that they signed that matters. It's not the ring that matters. It's the commitment before God and God fusing them together that matters. This, this collision of bios that matters. Which means that you can be at odds, which is going to happen. You know, he can seem distant and she's unavailable and her needs aren't being met and his needs aren't. 
well, maybe I should say his need isn't being met. You know, sex life leaves much to be desired, and now things are just kind of blah, and, 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 and there's more arguments than there is fun. And it, it would just be, it makes so much more sense. It'd be so much more fun to just separate, fall in love with somebody else. And according to Jesus, man, you could take the ring off, you can sign the papers, but God's going, None of those man-made things matter to me. That paper doesn't matter to me. Your lack of jewelry doesn't matter to me. I fused you. Yeah, but God, she's impossible. Yeah, but God, he, he, he's bad with money. Nah, I fused you. I fused you. You can see why this isn't fun to teach. This is a touchy subject. I, I get it. Because there's a million thoughts going through your head right now. But this is the teaching of Jesus Christ. Marriage is a fusion. Let no man separate. It's funny, in, in Matthew's account, uh, Matthew writes about this account as well, and, uh, and he goes into more detail because he's a tax collector. just goes into more detail. And, and Matthew wrote that, uh, that at this point, the conversation went this way. Matthew writes, The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, oh man, it's far better it's, it's better not to marry. And Jesus said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only to those whom it is given. Jesus says, I, I know that this isn't for everybody. Marriage isn't for everyone. Because real marriage is not easy. It's not to be taken lightly. It, it's serious. It's not, it's not for everyone. See, I, I think it's a bit sad in how Christianity has almost... Um, glorified marriage to the point of elevating it far above singleness. I, I don't know if it you know, comes from like the Catholic Church making it a sacrament. I'm not exactly sure where it comes from. Uh, but today, I, I don't know if you've felt this. Today it seems like there, there's a lot of pressure on Christians. You've got to get married, got to get married, got to get married. If you don't believe me, go to a Bible college campus. It's like a meat market there. Probably because we, we hold on to this idea of, of no sex before marriage. That's what God has asked for, from us for our benefit. And, and statistically, those who wait to have sex until marriage have a, have a higher chance of their marriage working because they're, they're committed to doing things God's way. And so uh, God asks us not to have sex before marriage, and, and it's a great law to have, but uh, a great rule to have. But what can happen, though, is we rush into marriage then because we want to have sex. I remember in, uh, in youth group, and I made this mistake as a youth pastor, you know, telling the, telling the students, hey, save it for marriage, save sex for marriage, save it for marriage. But then, hey, get married, and then marriage is going to be like this blissful, sex-filled sandwich of amazingness, which leads to then these lofty fantasies of marriage. Like, oh, marriage is like awesome, and so we want to rush into it. But then what happens is, you know, one year into it, five years into it, get that seven-year itch. Some are like, wait a minute, this is not as sexy, this is not as easy as I had expected. And, and then there's marriage problems because the cost wasn't rightfully counted. I mean, don't get me wrong. Marriage is a blessing. God designed it for a reason. But Jesus is teaching here, hey, s slow down. This isn't for everybody. You got to count the cost because, and this is a big point here, because marriage is heavy. Marriage is heavy. Hey, even the disciples were like, whoa, Jesus, if that's marriage, who'd want to get married then? And my happily single friends are going, amen. Marriage is not easy. It's hard. It's very serious. See, we have this reputation 
uh, at the bridge for slowing people down before marriage. Uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, they get the feels, and they want to jump right into marriage without counting the cost. And, and so as a church, we, we make sure that the people we marry, they count the cost. We sit them down. Hey, are you sure? Have you thought about this? Have you talked about this? You know, we want to make sure they're not rushing into it because marriage is heavy and not to be taken lightly. It is a fusion of bios that can't be separated. Now, now let me add this. If you've been married, and we have so many people in our church that, that I, I so love, I so respect, godly people who want to do what's right, and, and they've had a divorce in their past. I don't want you right now to feel condemned in the least bit. It's so easy to read these words that we're reading right now and, and feel this condemnation. Remember, Jesus came in the first place so that you don't, so that you aren't condemned. But at the same time, I, I imagine you probably have a lot of questions right now because you might be thinking, man, I'm divorced, so what does this mean? Which is why I don't want to stop here. I want to take this a little bit further and explore more of this subject as a whole. All right? So we, we talked about the truth of marriage, the truths of marriage. Let's talk about divorce now. Here's the truth about divorce. According to Scripture, biblical divorce can only happen because of sexual unfaithfulness or desertion. Biblical divorce can only happen because of sexual unfaithfulness or desertion. So according to Scripture, if your spouse takes off and joins their flesh with someone else... That's a separation of your fusion, and therefore it is grounds for legitimate, formal uh, divorce. And some of you have been through that, and, and that's awful. Uh, I, I feel for you, and God does too. Uh, in, in, second, or, sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, a lot of people uh, were, were becoming believers, and they were you know, forming the church, getting involved in church, and their spouses didn't like that they were becoming Christians. And so the spouses, not the Christians, but the spouses, they were just taking off. They were deserting. They were leaving them. And so Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, well, then there's really nothing you can do then. You know, that, that's desertion. And some of you have experienced that as well. Your spouse just took off. And again, my, my heart goes out to you. And, and so does God. So that's why he spells this out in Scripture. Uh, so if that's happened to you, that is legitimate grounds for divorce. Now, again, I know this right here can create so many more questions. You know, okay, well, what about remarriage then once that happens? And, and, and you know, what about, uh, what about abuse? What, does that qualify as, as desertion? Lots of questions that, that we could really get into and unpack that we just don't have the time today. So I just want to give you a, a resource. There's a great book out there that we give out as a church uh, that, that I've read through. It, it's, it's a very simple read. It's about a 40-minute read or so, but it's called Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage in the Bible by J.E. Adams. By J.E. Adams. You might want to write that down. Hey, pick this up on Amazon. It's like 10 bucks on Amazon, but Marriage, Divorce, and Remarriage in the Bible by J.E. Adams. Really good book that just kind of helps spell some of this out as to why God commanded this, what's the background to this, uh, what about this situation. Because all of us, all of us have different experiences. We have loved ones that have, have gone through the pain of divorce uh, that we want to have grace with because God has grace with us. Uh, and this book can just kind of help answer some of those some of those. Uh, questions. But biblical divorce can only happen because of sexual unfaithfulness or desertion. And so you might be thinking, okay, but Junior, everything you're talking about right now, fusion, fusion, this happened to me nine years ago. This happened to me 20 years ago. You know, I was young. I didn't count the cost before getting married. I was young. We were dumb. There was no unfaithfulness. There was no desertion. We just weren't compatible. And so we went our separate ways. You know, but now, Junior, I have, I'm remarried. And, and I have 
two kids, and, and, and things are good, and, and we're following Jesus, we're trying to honor Jesus. Junior, are you telling me, according to the scripture that we just read, are you telling me that every time I'm with my spouse, I'm committing adultery? Why God ask me that? To be candid with you, the, the first time you got together, according to Jesus, yes. But now you're refused the new spouse, this is where you're at, and God's grace meets you there, and you can't go back, nor should you try, and, and you can have this awesome, God-honoring marriage from here on out. God's grace is, 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 is awesome, isn't it? See, all of us have at least one page in the Bible that we didn't get right. All of us. We all got one page in the Bible that we didn't get right, and may I be the first to say that my page or pages can make up chapters like if this text today just stirred up some deep regret of yours and, 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 you, and you kind of feel condemned, I just want to tell you, I got pages. I am thankful for God's grace. I am thankful for the gospel. And so if you're on your second marriage, if you're on your third marriage, and there's no, there's no need to sit there and feel like you don't belong at our church. On the contrary, you absolutely belong here. You're in good company. If you come into one of our buildings and you sit in one of our auditoriums, you will likely sit next to somebody who probably just sucks at marriage. They're just a hard person to be married to, and they got a lot of work to do when it comes to their marriage. And on the other side of you, you might sit next to a single person who has some regrets about who they've joined their flesh with in, in the past. I mean, around here, we don't point out sin without a hug, saying, welcome to the club of sinners, because we all need God's grace. And God's grace meets us right here. Let me finish by saying this, though. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And it's in Jerusalem that he will take the cross. His disciples haven't been getting it. They've been asking why, Jesus, why the cross? Why suffering? Why sacrifice? Because I have a really harsh view of divorce and a really strict view of fusion. And so many of my followers just aren't going to get it right. But I want them as well. And it's the cross that connects us. And it's the cross that gives them a do-over. See, the fact of the matter is, we don't need a better spouse. We don't, we don't need any more excuses. Believe it or not, we don't even need any more answers. We need the cross. Jesus left a lot unsaid here, didn't he? He left a lot unsaid here. He said the rest of the cross. And some of us look at this text and we just wish, Jesus, I, Jesus, I wish you would say more. Like, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And, and personally, I, I believe that Jesus doesn't give us a list because he knows what we're going to do with it. Man, Moses gave one law, and look with that. Look at all the outs they, they got from that one law. Oh, if she burns dinner. Oh, if, she, you know, if you see somebody more always attractive. And Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a list. Instead, I'm going to define marriage. I'm going to leave some stuff unsaid. And then in a couple of weeks, I'm going to say the rest of the cross. Here's my grace. Here's a do-over. It's the cross that gives us the final truth today. And that is God's grace allows obedience to start today. God's grace allows obedience to start today. You might feel so far behind when it comes to all of this because you have regrets when it comes to previous fusions. But God's grace allows obedience to start today. 
2 Corinthians says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, the, the, the past, the, the regrets, the old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And all of this is from God through Christ who reconciles us to himself. And that is the truth about obedience. It can start right now. See, I don't know what happened to you five years ago, ten years ago. Maybe you signed on right now and you're, you're living together. Maybe you signed on right now and you're going through a divorce. Maybe you signed on with just a miserable marriage. Maybe you signed on and, and you're rushing into marriage, trying to force it. Maybe you signed on with a same-sex attraction. And obedience for all of us is going to look different. But even though it looks different, it's all going to be grueling. In Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples after this conversation, after this conversation, he says, yeah, marriage isn't for everyone. Some are going to live as eunuchs. Some are going to die virgins like Jesus did. Obedience, when it comes to this, is so hard. Loving and serving a spouse who doesn't deserve it, that is hard. Not rushing into marriage, are you kidding me? That's hard. Resisting a marriage that, that, that isn't according to God's design or command, that, that's serious. Picking up pieces from a messy divorce, that is, that is tough. But it's that obedience that gives you the ability to experience life to the fullest. Single life to the fullest. That second marriage, third marriage to the fullest. That last decade of a miserable marriage to be turned around and have a new marriage with the same spouse to the fullest because Jesus went to the cross. I have come that they may have life and life to the fullest. And that can start right now. Extremely countercultural. Yeah. Fusion, no way out, no plan B. Like to most today, to, to the world today. This is ridiculous. This is weird. This is not normal. But with the divorce rate of our society, the amount of miserable marriages out there today, it seems to me that normal isn't working. And so maybe Jesus is onto something. Maybe what he's calling us to, as strict as it is, just might be what this world is craving and looking for. Thank God the cross makes us eligible to take that new life and live it now, starting today. Hey, thanks again for listening. And if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Better yet, hit that share button. Maybe screenshot it, share it with your friends. Thanks again for joining in. And until next time, God bless.